what if? What if? What if the worst thing that ever happened to you? What if that could be the best thing that ever happened to you? Saying what if? What if the hardest thing that you've ever gone through, your family's ever gone through? What if it could be the one thing that God uses more than anything else to work good in your life? What if? What if something that is a mess and broken and busted is the very area where God decides to demonstrate his beauty, his power, his redemption more than anything else? I'm just asking, what if one of the worst, one of the hardest things you've ever gone through or has ever happened to you, what if that's the one thing that could be the most beautiful thing about your life? Is that, is that possible? Is that even possible? We're in a series called Beautiful Collision, and we're just looking at some ways that uh, God comes into somebody's life when everything's a mess, when it's broken and busted, when life has gone off the road. And you felt like you had control, like you thought you had a hold of the steering wheel, everything was going well, you had no idea, but then it happened. It happened to you. Before it had always been somebody else's story. Before it was someone else's testimony. Before you would listen and you would be sympathetic and you would hurt for somebody else, but now you're the one. Now it's your life. And it's just a wreck and it's a mess and it just seems beyond putting back together. And so it's easier just to pretend like everything's okay. It's easier not to look over in that direction. It's easier to act as if it never happened and you just keep moving forward. But what if, what if Jesus could come into that wreck and do something beautiful? What if he could take that situation and take the broken pieces and do what he does? What if? And so we've, we've looked at some different examples of this. And really what you have in the sanctuary, in case you don't know this and some of you don't, you have a collection of beautiful collisions represented in this room. Just, just people who've experienced some difficulties, sometimes because of what happened to them, sometimes because of a choice they made. And, and yet Jesus has done some really incredible things. In fact, I asked my Facebook friends about it this week and just... Asked them to tell me about the moment their life collided with Jesus. I tried not to make it a leading question. And uh, just finished that sentence. My life collided with Jesus when? And here are some of the responses. On the day I was told I had three months to live due to stage four cancer. When I was sitting on my bed, I had hit rock bottom. I had my dad's gun in my hand. But I, I said a prayer before I pulled, before I decided if I was going to pull the trigger. When I found out my husband was having an affair, the grace of Jesus collided in both of our lives and we are now a story of his redemption and he is making our broken family whole. When the divorce papers arrived in the mail and I watched everything I worked for all my life fall apart and I could no longer pretend I was in control. When Jesus reached into one of the darkest places on earth, a strip club, to show me his mercy, his love, his grace and his compassion, there is no place where his love will not find us. When I could no longer rely on myself to get out of depression, when my husband was forced out of his job of 30 years and we had to learn to rely on God's provision, when I was pregnant and my kidneys were failing and all the doctors told me I had to abort the pregnancy, but for the first time I prayed and my daughter's 23. 
I finally admitted I wasn't strong enough to save my marriage or end my addiction to pornography. When I was 20 years old, my husband was killed in a car accident. When the ultrasound said the baby's heart had stopped beating. When I had nowhere else to go after years of a gambling addiction. Just one after another, after another, after another. And it's surprising, really, that people would want to share those things, most of those things. It doesn't seem like the kind of thing you would want to post on a public page. It doesn't seem like the kind of thing that you would want to remember. But they remember, and they post it. Why? Because now it is something of a testimony. Now they see it as a way that God has brought beauty out of broken. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt doesn't mean that everything turned out okay and there was a happily ever after ending. What it means is that, that there was something that went really wrong. And in that moment, they experienced Jesus in a way they hadn't experienced Jesus before. In that moment, they knew the love of Christ in a way that they had only read about before. In that moment, they, they experienced the re- redeeming power of God in their lives. This is what he does. He can take something broken and he can do something beautiful with it. And that's, that's what we've been celebrating in this series. We're um, wrapping up the series this week as we get ready to head into Easter next week. And we're going to meet a man today who was on the front row seat during the final hours of Jesus' life. We don't know a lot about this man. We don't know much about his, his personal life as far as his family goes. But we do know what he did for a living, which, which tells us some things about him. This man was a Roman centurion. And as a Roman centurion, that meant that he had been a soldier most of his adult life, likely all of it. And he had worked his way up the ranks to the point where he now oversaw, he now was the commander of 100 men. We know that this Roman centurion had watched men die and had killed men by the hundreds, if not by the thousands. We know this, that on the day we meet him, it's just another day for him. It's just another day of him doing his job and he's just been given another assignment. Not unlike other assignments he'd already been given. He's going to torture and he is going to kill a, um, a, a Jewish agitator. And this one's name happened to be... It happened to be Jesus. See, when Pilate, the governor who we studied last week, when he has Jesus flogged, it would have been this centurion and some of his men that carried it out. And so he's responsible then for stripping the clothes off of Jesus. He is responsible for tying the Son of God's arms to an upright post so that the skin on his back would be stretched tight. He's responsible. He and his men... For whipping Jesus. The centurion was an expert at it. Sometimes you hear that Jesus was whipped 39 times. 40 lashes minus one. Maybe you've heard that. That's not what the centurion paid attention to. He didn't count. He knew how to beat a man to the edge of his life. The objective of his men was not to just lash out quickly and inflict Jesus with welts. But to try to rake the victims back. So that his spine would be exposed. A third century historian we looked at last week, Eusebius, described the flogging by saying the sufferer's veins were laid bare and the very muscles and bowels of the victim were open to exposure. So that's this centurion. But he's kind of having a good time with it. Like he's done this enough that he's learned to kind of make a game out of it. And so he and his men begin not just to torture Jesus, but to mock him as well. And I don't know if it was his idea or one of his guys, but they, they take a, a thorny branch and they weave it together into this mock crown so that it um, 
resembles a coronation wreath of Roman leaders. And they press it into the skull of Jesus and they laugh. You don't have a lot of nerve endings in your forehead, but there are a lot of, there are, uh, there are many capillaries in your forehead, which would have made for a, just a bloody mess as the blood would have matted his hair and filled his ears and his eyes. And Matthew specifically talks about how the centurion, that these soldiers, that they mocked Jesus, trying to have a little fun with it. And so they, they take this purple robe and they, they put it over the beaten and bloody back of Jesus and say, oh, well, you're a king. King needs his crown. The king needs his robe. And then they find a stick and they put the stick in his hand and said, every king needs a scepter. And everybody laughs. So here's my point. If there was ever, ever a man for whom it was too late, if, it, if, if there was ever a person who was too calloused, if there was ever a person who was too jaded, if there was ever a person who was too hard-hearted, if there was ever a person who had just gone too far, if there was ever a person who had just offended God a little too much, it would have been this man. I mean, if there was ever a person that would have missed Jesus and the power of Christ, it, it, would, be, it would be him. I want to give you a few reasons why this centurion would have had a difficult time being open to Jesus. Um, yeah, I think some of you will relate to to some of these. Um, first, because of his background, he, he wasn't Jewish. He was a Roman. So he didn't grow up hearing about the Messiah. He didn't grow up um, paying attention to the prophecies. He, he didn't celebrate things like the Passover. It's not how we grew up. Now, he had been in this area long enough to become familiar with the Jewish traditions, but frankly, he probably thought they were just pretty bizarre. It just seemed very odd to him, especially this time of year when people would come in and they would, they would kill an innocent lamb as a way to deal with this, with their sin. Really? And it just seemed strange to him. And my guess is that, you know, at best the centurion thought that Jesus was a, um, a, a, an inspirational teacher. Jesus had developed a reputation as a rabbi for being a teacher like no other. Uh, he could tell a story and amaze people. The crowds, the Bible tells us, in a number of places were amazed at his teaching. So at best, the centurion thought of Jesus as just this teacher, but more likely he thought of Jesus as kind of a crazy insurrectionist, you know, this carpenter who just wasn't quite all there. And even if Jesus was someone significant, it didn't matter to him. He wasn't Jewish. He, it didn't matter to him. He wasn't one of them. It wasn't his tradition. It wasn't his beliefs. And look, I think that there's some of you here, and this is where you're at. Like, you're just not sure about all of this. You didn't grow up with it. You didn't have any kind of church background. You're here because you recognize there's some things in your life that really aren't going the way you'd hoped. And you think, well, you know, what have you got to lose? And maybe you'll try this out. But... You were never taught the Bible stories. You, you weren't, you know, your parents didn't pray for you before putting you to bed at night. And, and you came sometimes on Christmas and Easter. You're familiar a little bit with your traditions, but really they just seem a little bit bizarre to you. You're just not really sure about all of it. And, and so because of that, you're just, you know, you're just not sure what to do with Jesus. It's fine for other people, but it's not really been your thing. And, and you, just don't, you just don't really know what to do with it. Another reason I think that the centurion would, um, 
would have had a hard time being open to Jesus is because of prejudice. Uh, he likely had a very deep prejudice towards the Jewish people. He, he hated being stationed in Palestine. The Jews were known uh, for being a very obstinate and proud people. The Romans looked at them as being an inferior species, essentially, not fully human. Name-calling, ridicule, racial slurs were hurled back and forth. So here's what I'm saying, is that because of the prejudice he felt towards God's people, it would have made it very difficult for him to be open to God. Does it sound familiar at all? Like how he felt about God's people made it difficult for him to be very receptive to God. So here, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to kind of take a break, uh, just push pause on the message for a moment. And I'd, I'd like to play a little word association game, if we could do that. Um, so I'll give, you just, I'll give you a word, and you say whatever word comes to your mind out loud when I give you my word, okay? I need everybody to participate in this. It's fine, whatever you say. There's no wrong answer. I, really, there's not a wrong answer. There's... There's weird answers, uh, but like if, if I say, if I say cats and you say, uh, that's a good, allergies is fine. But if you said like roller skating, that would be, would be weird. It wouldn't be wrong, but it wouldn't, wouldn't be right. Uh, so I, I'm going to give you some words and, um, and, and you just say whatever first comes to your mind out loud. Okay. The first word is flavor. Okay, not a lot of consensus on our favorite kind of ice cream. Uh, okay, second word, everybody participates here. Second word is furniture. Couch is popular. Uh, third word is juice. Okay, mostly orange, some apples. Um, fourth is dentist. Okay. <laughs> I heard ouch, just uh, randomly ouch. Sorry, Dennis. Uh, one more word is Christian. It, it, it's harder to hear that right in here. Like, remember, you, you, you're, you probably had some things that came to your mind and, um, you know, you want to be positive because you're in church. And a lot of you would feel very positive about Christians, but, um, but Common words associated with Christians are words like uh, hypocrite, judgmental, boring, angry. See, I think what happens is oftentimes that people don't like Christians, and so they don't really consider Christ. I've just been doing this long enough to understand that many of you, many of you who grew up in church and many of you who grew up around Christians, that this is your story. I used to be a little bit defensive of it. I'm, I'm not really anymore. I, I understand it. You've, you've been hurt and you've been turned off and you associated that with Jesus and it just kind of put up some walls. And so maybe it was your prejudiced relative or your gossiping friend or your arrogant boss or your judgmental sibling or your narrow-minded neighbor or your prudish parents and you thought, I don't want to be like them. And so you turned away from them, but you also turned away from Jesus. I've shared before that when, when I was starting a new church in uh, Los Angeles County, California, I would go around uh, on several occasions. I went around on a Sunday morning 
And I would ask people who were at home, not at church on Sunday morning, you know, are you a part of a church? And if not, why not? And I thought I would hear things like, well, because I don't believe God exists. Or I don't believe the Bible is true. Or I'm not sure that Jesus is God's son. I thought I would hear these things. But instead, I often would hear a story. And the way I would ca- capture most of those stories would be with this statement of people basically saying, I don't really like Christians. <laughs> why would I go to church? Isn't that where Christians are? And, and that tends to be why a lot of people avoid Jesus. And maybe it's because um, a Christian exploited you or, or a member of a church cheated you out of some money. Or maybe you've got a neighbor that attends church here, here and you can, hear, you, know, you can hear them yelling at each other when you walk by their house in the evening. Or, or, or maybe it's a co-worker that you know goes to church here and, and they stabbed you in the back. And, and it's just hard for you to, to consider Jesus when, when the people who call themselves his followers have, have hurt you. Another reason I think that this centurion would have not you know, really been moved by Jesus was because of familiarity. He had just seen this. He had done this so many times before. Um, you, you get the sense, as mentioned, that, that they, the soldiers turned this more into a game. They had been a part of these scourgings. It would become methodical for them. It was, it was a nasty business, but they had become accustomed to it. He was just taking orders, just doing his job. He had heard the screams and the groans, and he had smelt the blood. He had listened to the begging. He knew what to expect. In fact, you get the impression that, you know, they're not just casual about it, that they're, they're kind of having fun with it. That you, you read about them playing games at the foot of the cross, that they're gambling for the one clothing item that Jesus had. Jesus is dying for them. They're just, they're kind of playing games. And I, I guess I'm wondering if that's where some of you are. I mean, if we could just be honest, I, it's, it's not that you don't care. It's not that I don't care. It's just that we've kind of heard all this before. We know the story. We know what happened. And we've just kind of become apathetic to it. And, you know, maybe like the soldiers, we have a game on our mind. Maybe a whole tournament, let's just say. And there's just a lot of other things that have our attention this time of year. And so it's not that we don't care. It's just that there's a lot of other important stuff right now. And it just, we just dismiss it. But even the centurion could not avoid a collision with Jesus after Jesus was crucified on the cross. We're going to read here in a moment. The centurion reached this conclusion about Jesus. And once he believed what he believed, it changed everything. You don't believe what he believed without it making a difference in your life. And so here's what we read in Mark chapter 15, verse 39. It says, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus, so he's close. He's close enough to see and to hear. When he was there in front of Jesus and he saw how Jesus died, he said, here's what, here's his conclusion. Surely this man was the son of God. Surely this man was the son of God. And Luke and John specifically say as well in that account that he worshiped the Lord. This Roman centurion, the least likely of people, comes to the conclusion that Jesus is the son of God and he worships, he worships the Lord. So what was it that got his attention? I mean, what was it that opened his eyes and softened his heart? Well, we know that the ground shook and the sky grew dark. That had to have had an impact. But look, a lot of other people would have experienced those things and they didn't reach the same conclusion. 
So what was it that made the difference? Mark says that he saw how Jesus died. In other words, I think, I think that there was something about how Jesus died that was so different from how all the other men that he had crucified and killed died that he just couldn't get away from it. I don't know for sure, but my guess is that the centurion would have certainly realized at some point that Jesus thought, at least, at least Jesus thought that he could stop it at any moment. At least in Jesus' mind, the centurion must have realized that, that Jesus didn't think he had to be there, but was there out of his own will. I mean, what kind of man doesn't, inv- doesn't fight the nails but opens his arms to them? There may have been a garrison of soldiers, but Jesus himself in Matthew 26 said that he has the authority to command 12 legion of angels. That's 72,000 angels to come to his defense. He, he knows that. With every crack of the whip, with every cry of agony, with every drop of blood that falls to the ground, the angels of heaven grow more restless. 72,000 angels in heaven lean forward. Just say the word, Jesus, and this will all be over. But the order doesn't come. But make no mistake. No one, no one takes his life from him. He lays it down. I don't know if it was that or maybe it was something he heard Jesus say. He, he would have been close enough to hear the words of Jesus when he, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I doubt that would have registered much to a Roman centurion. Jesus was quoting from Psalm 22, where we read about crucifixion a thousand years prior, right? It was before a crucifixion was even invented, we read about it. That in that moment, Jesus, the Bible says in Corinthians, he became our sin. He became it. And so he experiences for the first time in his life separation from God because he became he became our sin. But the centurion wouldn't have connected those dots. He would have also heard Jesus speak to his mother and such tenderness and gentleness. Mary's there with the apostle John and Jesus wants to make sure she's going to be taken care of. What kind of man in the middle of such excruciating pain is making sure that his mom is, is okay? But but what I think probably turned his heart more than that, more than the conversation he would have overheard with the with the thieves on the cross, I I think probably what would have opened his eyes and softened his heart was the prayer that Jesus prayed for him. Don't you think? I think so. They hear Jesus is on the cross and he prays. So this centurion had heard that before. He had heard lots of prayers from the cross of, of people calling down wrath from heaven calling on God to avenge them, destroying and wiping out the soldiers. Jesus clears his throat to pray, and he prays, and he says, Father, forgive them. He could have called the wrath of heaven to rain down on these men. Instead, he calls calls for God's grace to come down. I I think that was it. I think that had to be the moment. What do you do with that kind of love and that kind of grace? What else can you do but be changed by it? 
And can you imagine, can you imagine being the centurion? Can you imagine nailing the son of God to the cross? Can you imagine being the one responsible for his death? And then, and then you find out that he speaks forgiveness and love over your life. Can you imagine that? And I think it just wrecks, I think it just wrecks the centurion. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5 explains that this is what God has done for us. That that he was pierced, Jesus was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. And he was whipped so that we could be healed. And so look, maybe like the centurion, you have some pretty bad feelings towards the people of God. Maybe some Christians have hurt you. Maybe a church has hurt you. I, I, I want you to know I'm sorry if that's your story. But boy, I, I would ask you not to look away from Jesus because of us. Maybe, maybe you find out like the centurion that um, you've just kind of become a little apathetic and indifferent to some of these things. You've just heard them all before. It's nothing new. Or maybe you don't have much of a God background. You just didn't grow up in church. And so it just kind of feels like a club that you don't belong to. I, I, just, I just want to be clear about one thing. One, just one thing. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. And that just changes everything. And I don't know what your story is. You may be Baptist or Catholic or atheist or agnostic. But I know Jesus died for you. And you may be widowed or you may be married or you may be single or divorced. You might be upper class or lower class. I I don't know. But I know Jesus died for you. I, I may not know you, but I know the most important thing about you. The most important thing about you is that Jesus died for you. And when we believe that, I mean, when we really believe that, that that's how we're loved, when we believe that he took our sin, but not just our sin, our guilt and our shame upon himself to set us free, when we believe that, that changes everything. Let's pray. So God, I just pray that in the next few moments you would do for us what you did for the centurion, that you would open our eyes and you would soften our hearts and you would allow us to see see you on the cross and be forever changed by it. Lord, I know that there are all kinds of obstacles that keep us, and different ones of us in different ways from from really seeing you. So I just pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would remove those things and that you would give us eyes to see and that you would allow the walls of our, that we've surrounded our heart with. I pray that you would help us lower them so that we could know you and experience your love in a way that we haven't before. So, so Jesus, in the next few minutes, would you help us, um, would you help us to see the cross, to see your love and to be changed forever? It's in your name we pray. Amen.